0: Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some
1: of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Pre-submissions. The topic is very relevant. It's very hot. It's very timely. So much so that Mike Drews and I decided to do a part two podcast on the pre-submission process. We get into a few more twists and turns and other ways that you can use this vehicle of communication effectively with the FDA. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.Guru, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen. I know you're all excited about this topic of pre-submission. We're all dying to know really a lot more about it, and I've got the person on the podcast today who can answer every single question. That's a, that's I'm setting the bar really high, but he can answer probably every single question that that we have regarding the pre-submission process with the FDA. And that guest is Mike Drews. Mike is the president of Vascular Sciences. You've Chances are you've heard him before on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Mike and I chat every so often about those burning regulatory topics. Mike does a lot of work with medical device companies of all shapes and sizes all over the world. So if you need help with pre-submissions, I'm going to tell you, he's the guy who can be your guiding light through this process because Mike, guess what? He also works with regulatory agencies like the FDA, like Health Canada, and so on. So Mike, good morning. Good
0: morning, John. Thanks again for the opportunity to be with you and your audience. Always a pleasure to speak with
1: you. Yeah, well, we always have a good time, and and really excited to. We've we, we had a topic where we started to dive into the pre-submission on a previous episode or or two back, and kind of excited to jump in a little bit more depth and details. This is a, a popular topic these days, and what's interesting to me is um, pre-submission has been around really for for quite some time. So I'm. Why do you think it's getting sort of a, a renewed interest and a renewed you know, a rebirth, so to speak? Do you have any thoughts about that?
0: Yes, I do, John. Uh, I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, there was a new guidance that FDA put out about two years ago on the pre-sub process describing it in some detail. We'll talk about some of the mechanics of that a little bit later. That's one of the reasons why it's become more popular. But I think, quite frankly, the most important reason is that it's become so popular is because more and more people in this industry are realizing that the way we do business, that is the way we interact with the FDA, is not very efficient. And I'll give you just one reason, one example. 70 to 75% of submissions, that is 70 to 75% of 510K and PMAs that are submitted to the FDA are rejected first time out of the box. I think personally that's appalling. I think Yeah, that's crazy. it's crazy. It's it's ridiculous. And so many of those can be eliminated, perhaps even all of them can be eliminated with communication in advance with the agency. Mm-hmm. The pre the sub process is just one of many ways that we can communicate with the agency. So, you know, I hear for example a lot of my regulatory friends, they say their goal is to get their 510k cleared or their PMA approved. That has never been my goal because, quite frankly, any monkey can do that. My goal is to get my 510K cleared or my 510K or my PMA approved, ideally the first time out right. of the box if I can. Right. If I can't with a minimum number of Q&As and ping-pongs going back and forth. Yeah. Am I successful 100% of the time? No, but I can tell you I'm in the 20 to 25%, not in the 70 to 75%. And the most important ingredient that goes
1: into my secret sauce is communication with the FDA. And we're going to jump into that quite a bit. And I, I think for the audience, I mean, if, if this is your first time going through this process, then um, I'm going to say good. You don't have a lot of baggage <laughs> that needs to be undone or or prior uh, practices or, or maybe a, a prior opinion. For those who have been through this many, many times before. Like, uh, you know, uh, Mike and I were chatting just a, a little bit ago. We, we dated ourselves with some some references. Uh, we won't we won't do that on the podcast <laughs> at the moment. But for those of you who've been around and dealt with the FDA over the past 10, 15, 20 years, the old school way of thinking is do not communicate with the FDA. Do not uh, bring attention to yourself in any way, shape or form. And And I guess that's the key thing that you have to evolve. You have to... You have to change quite a bit because the agency is there to be a resource for you. And I think you know, this is one of those mechanisms, one of those tools we can use that pre-submission process. So, Mike, remind us what, a little bit more about what goes into that pre-submission process. You mentioned a guidance document. We'll certainly make reference to that and, and the, the text that follows this or accompanies this podcast. But tell us a little bit more about what that pre-submission process is all about.
0: That's a great question, John. So let me break it into two parts. First, in terms of the mechanics, what do we need to submit to make the meeting request? And then second, in terms of content. So with regard to the mechanics, it's actually quite simple. There's only three things that you really need to provide FDA in order to make this meeting request. First is a letter. And in that letter, you basically say we want to have a pre sub communication. That communication can be either via teleconference or in person. 99.9% of the time, I strongly recommend doing the first meeting in person. I do not like to do it over the telephone. Subsequent discussions can be with, can be with, over the phone, but the first one I like to have in person. That's requirement number one. Requirement number two is the agenda. Basically, what FDA wants to know is, what do you plan on talking about? And the reason why FDA wants to know that, quite frankly, is they need to know who from their side of the table that they need to invite to the meeting. So for example, if you want to talk about biocompatibility, if you want to talk about an animal test, if you want to talk about, um, I don't know, ergonomics or human factors, they need to understand, they need to know who to invite. And by the way, the agenda I use not just as a list of things that I do want to talk about, But I will also include in the agenda what I do not plan to talk about, because one of the things that goes into a successful pre-sub meeting for me, and as you know, John, I do a lot of these. I'm down at the agency probably once a month or more, is keeping the meeting as small and as focused as possible. I do not want to have a meeting with lots and lots of people. I was involved in a pre-sub meeting recently where between the FDA and the company, they had almost 50 people at this meeting. Yeah, And and before the meeting actually occurred, I told the company this was going to be a huge disaster. But they said, well, we're going to do it anyway. And long story short, it was a disaster. So in the agenda, if I'm not planning on talking about human factors or something like that, I will say we are not planning at this time to talk about it, you know, that it is important, obviously, and we'll bring that up later at the appropriate time. So the agenda is the second component. The third and final component, and this is the one that really makes my blood pressure go up when I think about it, is that the guidance asks us to submit to the FDA uh, questions that we would like to ask the FDA. And for those in your audience that do not know me, the reason why that makes my <laughs> blood pressure go up is because it violates one of my cardinal rules of dealing with the FDA, and that is never, ever, 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 ever ask the FDA a question. My philosophy is very simple. Tell, don't ask. Lead, don't follow. Go to the FDA and say, this is our plan. This is our device. This is the way that it works. This is uh, uh, what the labeling is. This is the testing that we've done th- thus far. This is what we're planning on doing next, and right. so on and so on. And I don't even like to end my presentations at FDA by asking, "Do you have any questions, John?" Because if there are reviewers in the room, they'll ask. They have questions. They will yes, ask. They're nice. their job. Yeah. So, so, but nonetheless, because it is a requirement in order to get the pre-sub meeting, you have to ask them questions. So here's my advice. I phrase these questions very carefully to essentially create what an attorney would call a leading question, such that the only answer that anybody can come up with to this question is the answer that I want them to come up with. And by the way, and I encourage your audience to read the pre-sub guidance.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good.
0: It's it's good. However, the questions that they list as an exa- as examples I would never in a million years ask those <laughs> questions because, quite frankly, you're opening up a pen bars box and you'll have no idea what you're going to get in return. Yeah. A lot of people, for example, they start out by saying, does FDA agree that dot, dot, dot? Well, if I can be frank, it's not I, I don't really care if FDA agrees or not. That's, that's not the point of this. I will often start my my questions by saying, based on my device and my technology, have I demonstrated that the de novo is the appropriate pathway to market? Have I demonstrated that no additional value will be provided in doing clinical testing that is not already obtainable in the benchtop and animal testing that we're already doing? Have we demonstrated that Class two is the is the appropriate classification
1: for our new device,
0: right? That, that kind of thing. Yeah, um,
1: those. I like what you're where you're going with those questions because you know I've long been a been. I don't know if my mother told me this, or my dad, or, or or some some wise person like Mike Drews along the way suggested this to me, but but it really is how you ask that question is very very important. You know, you that, can ask that's the exactly question. Right. You can ask it three different ways, and, and depending on the words that you choose, you can get three very different answers. So I like the advice, ask the question in a way that, that really frames the agency towards the, the answer that you're, you're seeking.
0: That's right. So, so mechanistically, it's quite simple. It's just those three things. Just to recap, it's the letter asking for the meeting, it's the agenda, and it's the questions. Now, beyond that, there's the content. And this is the last important thing that I want to say about this particular topic, and that is, unlike a traditional submission—a five, ten, K, PMA, de novo, whatever it is—where FDA says we expect to see this information, we expect it to, to see it, and these kind of questions, the content of the pre-sub meeting is totally up to us, one hundred percent under FDA uh, under our control, not FDA. We tell the FDA here is what we want to talk about now in order to do that in order to make the most productive use of our conversation we obviously have to give fda enough information you know we ha- we have to provide them a background of our of our device here's our device this is the way it looks this is the way it works this is what it does uh this is how it's made this is the testing that we've done thus far this is the the draft labeling that we're planning on you know we obviously we have to put together what i call a pre sub package to provide FDA the information in order to have an intelligent conversation. But as I said a moment ago, unlike traditional submissions, the content of the pre sub package is up to us. We can follow the advice in the guidance, but we don't have to. Remember, as we've talked about before, guidance is only guidance.
1: Right, right. So, you know, to kinda say it another way, I, I can use that pre submission in a lot of different ways. And I and we'll I've got that jotted down as something to ask you about here in a moment. So, there's a lot of different ways that that, that pre submission uh, tool can be a vehicle for communication. So, you talked a little bit about what goes into what's required. We gave us a little bit of a, a suggestion on some of the process steps. But, you know, basically, if, if I understand this correctly, you, you get this guidance document, and it's like we said, it's pretty good. But it gives you some, some tips and pointers and some things to, you know, some narrative of what to include in your pre-submission. You, you get your letter, you get your agenda, you determine what questions you're going to ask and do so in a very smart way. And then you put the meat, so to speak, of, the, of that pre-submission together. You, you send it to FDA just like it's any other submission. The good thing that I like, I really enjoy about that pre-submission is there's no fees required.
0: Yes, that is true, John, for the moment anyway, and give Congress a little bit of time. But for (laughs) the moment, there are no user fees associated with
1: the pre-sub process. That is correct. And the turnaround time is, I mean, it's, it's relatively quick.
0: Well, it is. Now, that's actually a good point. In the guidance, there are about a half a dozen different types of pre-subs for medical devices compared to drugs. Actually, drugs have a lot more types of meetings, but for devices, there's only about a half a dozen. And you'll see in the guidance, there are numbers of days that FDA is required to respond or to have a meeting. It might be 15 days, it might be 30 days, it might be more depending on the meeting type. What I'm telling to my customers, and I have been for many months now, is throw those numbers completely out the window. Because one of the advantages or disadvantages of the pre-sub process is that it has become popular, more companies are taking more advantage of it, which I would argue is a very good thing. But on the flip side, it is creating a little bit of a backlog at FDA. Although to their credit, as I said, I do a lot of pre-sub meetings through this past summer. I've been very pleasantly surprised. I thought, especially in uh, July and August, you know, with people's vacations and so on, things would really take longer. On the contrary, many of the pre-sub meetings have gotten scheduled much sooner than I thought. So, but as a ground rule, just to put a stake in the, in the ground, I would figure about six weeks between actually submitting your meeting request and getting an actual meeting if it's going to be a physical meeting. If you're willing to have a phone meeting, and I do not recommend it, but if you're willing to have a phone meeting, it might be a little bit sooner. But for an on-ground meeting, a, a, around 6 weeks or so, okay. minus is a good number.
1: And, and generally speaking, a pre-submission is something that you're doing, I'll say, or, or I would recommend doing. I mean, not always, but in many cases, you're going to do this early enough in your development cycle where... I mean, you should have six weeks. I mean, you should have enough substance in that pre submission to make it meaningful, but it shouldn't be, you know, this should not be a gating item um, really for your, your product development or your go to market strategy necessarily. I mean, it obviously will have some influence. So you, I guess what I'm trying to say is you have enough time if you're thinking a little bit strategic about how to engage the FDA throughout your process.
0: Yes, I agree. One of the most common questions that I get asked about the pre sub John is how early in the product development process should we go down to FDA and have this conversation? And it's a little bit of a tricky question. It's a yeah. little bit of a double edged sword. On one hand, I, I say we want to do this as early as we possibly can. But on the other hand, there is an, an important caveat to that. I don't want to do it one day sooner mm. than I'm prepared. Mm. In other words, I want right. to demonstrate in no uncertain terms to my FDA friends on the other side of the table that at the end of the day, I know what the heck I'm doing. I'm the expert. Yes, I want to work together. Yes, I value their opinion and I will certainly take their suggestions. But at the end of the day here, I'm the expert, not them. Right. And, and in order to demonstrate that, I want to have a very well thought out plan that I can present and not just present the plan, but I want to be able to rigorously defend that plan when right. people ask me questions. Right. And so uh, bottom line, earlier is better, but make sure that you're prepared. You know, a similar question that people ask me is, what, what constitutes a successful pre-sub meeting? <laughs> yeah. Anybody can have a pre-sub meeting. But in my book, a successful pre-sub meeting mm-hmm. is when everybody walks out of the room essentially agreeing with what we presented. That is definitely achievable. It doesn't happen often, especially with most other people. I don't mean to be bragging here, but right. but I see so many times where a company will have a pre-sub meeting, and it turns out to be a disaster because they end up having to do more than what they thought they were gonna do before, largely right. because they were not prepared to defend their plan. Right.
1: So right.
0: it's easy to prepare for a pre-sub. It takes a bit of time, a bit of work, to prepare for a successful. And just a real, real quick example, Recently, I had a, done a pre-sub meeting with a company. The, the meeting was successful. The senior VP of regulatory came up to me after the meeting and said, Mike, the, the meeting went great. We got everything that we, that we wanted. Let me ask you a question. Do you think we over prepared? Because we did spend a fair amount of time of preparing. And I said, gee, that's a pretty good question. I can certainly understand you why, why you asked me that question. But let me ask you this. If the meaning did not go so well, (laughs) would you have asked me that same question? You might have
1: asked the opposite.
0: (laughs) You might have asked the opposite question. That's exactly right. So I cannot emphasize enough. You want to prepare because at the end of the day, we want to demonstrate that we're in charge. We're the experts. Yes, we want to work together. But, you know, back to that statistic of... Seventy to seventy-five percent of five ten K and and PMEs being rejected, and I know much of your audience works in the five in the uh, five ten K world. Eighty-five percent of five ten Ks are re- that are rejected. Eighty-five percent of them are rejected specifically because of substantial equivalents. Yeah, that should never happen. That is a very amateur mistake. I've said this publicly many times, and this can be easily avoided by communication, whether it's via pre-sub or something else with the agency in advance. Yeah. I think it's quite frankly, it's embarrassing the the way that industry now treats the FDA essentially as our elementary school teacher. Here's our homework assignment, will you please mark it up in and great and give it back to you. That's not the way this game is supposed to be played.
1: Yeah, I I know. It's just I uh, I I think some of that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some of that old school mentality is still lingering, unfortunately, where, you know, we're gonna we're going to put our head down, we're going to put something together, we're going to throw it over the wall to the FDA, we're going to cross our fingers and and hope that they somehow or another understand our rationale, our our justification, our argument that we presented in a 510K or other submission, and even though that might be the very first time they've heard of or are aware of anything that we're doing. And you know, again, that's where I, I found that pre-submission to be so, so invaluable because... Let's face it, FDA gets a lot more exposure to a lot more types of devices and submissions than either you or I. They get to see everything in some way, shape, or form, you know, depending on the branch, of course, but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes, but anyway, they're they're going to have a, a lot more, I guess, understanding of of the thing that you know kind of prior art. they're going to have a better understanding, you know, at least the things that have come across their desk, they're going to have a better understanding certainly of agency uh, policy and thinking and areas of concern and all those sorts of things so plus you know they are a gatekeeper of sorts and you know it's it's great to have them as an ally as a resource as someone who understands what you're doing and why you're doing it and understands the science behind what you're doing and you know it's really our job as you've stated very very clearly today it's really our job to communicate to the agency what we're doing and why we're doing it and why it matters.
0: Well, John, I agree with you 100% on everything that you just said about the FDA. But I would also remind your audience of one very important and little known fact. And that is that FDA really does not know anything that we don't know. Yeah. In other words, yeah. they haven't gone to different schools. Yeah. They don't yeah. Go to special meetings. They That's don't read special journals. They are people. <laughs> they are people. Yes, you're right. They might be exposed to more devices than perhaps some of us are. And please notice, I'm saying some of us. But on the other hand, we should know a heck of a lot more about our device than they ever will. So there, yeah. there, there is a there is a balance. There. there yeah. is that's a that's an important point, right? So John, why don't why don't we uh, move on to our last question about using the pre-sub in uh, in other ways?
1: Yeah, I mean, we you and I talked recently. You know, of course, the pre-submission vehicle makes a lot of sense from a pre-submission standpoint. You know, get, as I'm going through the design and development process. But you and I had a recent discussion on when you make a change to a product that's already been released, already in the marketplace and you threw something out that actually caused me that I hadn't considered that but i'm making a change to a device that's already got clearance i go through you know the decision trees i determine that the change that i'm making does not warrant a new submission a new 510k uh for example but you offered that i could use the pre-submission as a means to communicate to the fda what i'm doing and why i'm doing it and, and so on so Share a little bit more about that because that was a little bit fascinating to me, why, how you could use that as, as a communication tool in a post-market fashion as well.
0: So, John, in a, in a nutshell, for the audience that is uh, not familiar with our uh, previous podcast, we were discussing if you make a change to an existing device, either the design or the manufacturing process, how do you handle that change, either in terms of right. keeping that internal via letter to file or letting the FDA know in the form of either a special 510K or right. perhaps a PMA supplement. If we're working in that gray area, if we genuinely believe that it is sufficient to do a letter to file, but you know we're kind of in the gray area, and most of the time we are, it's, it's rarely ever is it black and white, we might choose to go to the agency prophylactically and tell them, look, we're not required to be here. But as a matter of professional courtesy, just because we want to be good corporate citizens, blah blah blah, kumbaya. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, here's the change that we've made, right. and here are the reasons why. I think one of the ways that we can do that is via the pre-sub process. Yeah. So you don't have to. You know, oftentimes people ask me, "Well, pre-submission—that means communication with the agency prior to your submission, right?" Well, oftentimes yes, but don't don't consider it so. Literally, don't, don't have such a myopic view of the form of communication. FDA does occasionally ask me for my input on new guidance and new regulation coming out. Unfortunately, they did not ask me on the pre sub process. Had they, I would have said, don't call this pre sub because that's limiting. This right. is just another form of communication with the agency. So simply okay. put, another use of the pre-sub process and of course you will never see this written in the guidance or anywhere else at least that i've seen anyway is we can use this as a mechanism of communication after the device yeah. is on the market um, and in the scenario that you just described and of course there are other creative ways to use the pre-sub process as well but bottom line you know shakespeare said a rose by any other name st- still smells as sweet so I don't care how we communicate with FDA, whether it's through the pre-sub, whether it's through a 513G, whether it's through a request for designation. Uh, There are a litany of both formal as well as informal ways that we communicate with the agency. The most important thing is that we communicate with them. And the important thing is that we communicate with them prophylactically, that is in advance, while we're still in control, because if we wait until problems occur later, which is often the case, Now, by definition, we're in a defensive position, and that's a tactical disadvantage. So communication, whether it's via the pre-sub or whatever means that you want. And, you know, 20 years ago, I used to do something I called a a meet and greet, where we basically call up FDA and say, look, we are not asking you for anything. We just want to come down, shake hands, introduce ourselves, tell tell you what we're doing, tell you uh, what we're planning on doing next. If all goes well, you know, we'll come back in a couple of months with an update communication regardless of what we call it communication here is key
1: yeah this is just one of those examples you know obviously we've been focused on the submission side and pre-submission side and being able to communicate you know we often say at greenlight that regulatory compliance or rather non-compliance is the single biggest risk that any medical device company faces and that all starts pretty early on during your design and development process it's important to lay a proper foundation and it's important in my experience to establish a good communication pathway with the agency as you're bringing new products to market and you know there are plenty of companies that do this wrong we read about them on the news right unfortunately that's true
0: <laughs> and uh, and it happens a lot yeah. uh, the last thing that i would like to leave your audience with is, um, um, well, there, there are several things, but I'll just limit it to, to one. Okay, uh, Communication communication in advance uh, is so important. I mean, if we had more time, John, I know you and I both have examples where companies have communicated with the FDA to their benefit and other situations where companies have not communicated and it's led to problems and delays. Mm-hmm. So communication is, is vital. But remember that caveat, and that is, Tell, don't ask. Please yeah. Follow. It is our job to tell the FDA here's our device. Here's what makes sense to do from an engineering biology perspective. It is FDA's job to criticize it. I believe that if, for example, the company comes in and says the sky is blue, FDA's job is to say, okay, proof.
1: Yeah, it, right. it,
0: that's the way this game is supposed to be played. And in my opinion, that's the way it should be played. Is right. it always played that way today? I'm not sure. But communication with the agency with that tell, don't ask, leave, don't follow caveat is a good takeaway message, I think, from our discussion today.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and you know, Mike, uh, you and I were in our earlier conversation Today we we talked about this this opportunity that you're working on, and it's an opportunity that I may be assisting as well. So I'm uh, I'm thrilled to to have a chance to to see the maestro at work. <laughs> 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 you're,
0: you're being overly kind,
1: John. But I, and I do appreciate the kind words, but you know, in, in all seriousness, I mean it. It'll be a great opportunity. You know I'm really looking forward to it. I, I have a great opportunity to to learn a little bit from you and. I know that this project that I'm speaking of, that there is a pre-submission that's involved. I'm sure there will be other regulatory interactions that are involved. And so it's really going to be a, a great way for, for what you do and, and what I do and what we do at Greenlight Group to be compliments to one another. And I'm really excited about that opportunity. And and I want the audience to, to know this. I mean, in all seriousness, if you have any doubts or questions or comments or concerns whatever the case may be and you're really not maybe you're not ready to go to the agency that's okay you can come talk to a guy like Mike Drews you can come talk to a guy like John Spear and you know we're we're really here to help you and you know a phone call is, is a is a pretty quick and easy thing an email is generally a pretty quick and easy thing now don't use and abuse that that privilege or that opportunity but Mike and, and I are both accessible. You can get a hold of Mike, you can find him on LinkedIn very easily. Last name Drew D R U E S. If you want his email address, contact me at greenlight.guru and I'll be happy to make an introduction and you know, ask those questions because communication, communication, communication is so important to everything that we're doing from a medical device perspective and and you know, that's why Mike and I do these podcasts and that's why greenlight.guru has other podcasts and webinars and the content that we put out. And that's why Mike writes amazing articles and content as well. It's really about trying to help communicate to you things that will improve your success in bringing new products to market.
0: Well, thank you, John. Always a pleasure to be here. And thank you especially for your your kind words about wanting to learn from my experience, I'm happy to do that. I've been very fortunate to learn from those that have gone before me. So, you know, that's an ongoing process. But just remember, when I look at what other people have done, sometimes I learn what to do. Oftentimes, I learn what (laughs) not to do.
1: Yeah, so I suspect you'll be
0: learning more of the latter from me, what not to do.
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll uh, be on the edge of my seat, and I'll leave the audience in suspense, at least for for the time being, as to whether I learned the right way or the wrong way. But no, you know, Mike, it's it's. Uh, I have a good time on on these conversations, and I want the audience to know that if you ever have a topic that's just a burning question or a topic that you want Mike and I to to discuss, be happy to do so. Just let you know, contact me, contact Mike, and, and we'll, we'll put it out there, but we're, we're bringing you information that's timely, that's relevant, that's important to your efforts and your endeavors and bringing new products to the market. So again, I want to thank Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. Again, you can find him on LinkedIn. It's, it's probably a good place. you can type his name into Google, and I'm sure that all sorts of wonderful content will surface. Uh, and great articles and, and Mike has a really great content piece that, that uh I don't remember exactly when it was published, but it's still relevant on this pre-submission process. It's very good. Do find that, do read that, and, and again I'll I'll probably put that in the link to the text that accompanies this podcast. But thanks Mike and uh, we'll talk again very, very soon. And just wanna let the audience know that Greenlight.guru is is here We have a software solution. We have support services. And we help companies basically improve their efficiency and streamline their processes, especially when it comes to managing your quality management system, documenting design control, documenting risk management, and Mm -hmm. developing that single source of truth as you're designing, developing and bringing new products to market. So if you're interested in learning more about that, go to greenlight.guru and be happy to get you connected with the right people on our team to have a conversation about how we might be able to help. Again, this has been John Spear. I'm the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at greenlight.guru. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device
0: Podcast.